is not one part of the strategy gone Development, it's all we envelop in telephone A wealth of intelligence Unless you're selfishly embellishing all of the championships Basking it in, let's study in the conferences Pac-12 and Big, 12 and the 10 SEC, ACC, win, 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 win It just kind of fades from there, that's good Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's Rivalry Week! Welcome everybody to the Denver Owner's Manual Episode 5 review and cover all things Debbie college football related. This week is Rivalry Week, if you didn't already get that. This is all the big football games this weekend. Real quick, find us on Twitter at Debbie Manual, our email address, DebbieOwnersManual at gmail.com. Also, a special thank you to Chris and Adam from Dynasty Owner's Manual for allowing us to be part of their podcast family. I was able to meet Chris this weekend. What a freaking great guy, man. It was awesome. Great time. Anyways, while we're talking about this last weekend, one of the big games this weekend was Notre Dame and Syracuse, and Notre Dame absolutely destroyed Syracuse. Andrew, the Orange lost their star quarterback, Eric Dungy, early in the game. you think that affected the outcome, or was the 33-point loss on more than one player? I, I definitely think a 33-point loss speaks to more than the player in most cases. I think, though, in this instance, it speaks to how much Dungy means for that team, both in an emotional standpoint and a physical standpoint on the field. I mean, they lost their leader very early. I mean, he only had four pass attempts. And from there, you could kind of see the wind was just kind of taken out of the whole team as a whole. Notre Dame at the same time, I think they're – I'm finally turning the corner on them a little bit. I think they definitely – I don't think they'll win the national championship, but I do think they deserve to be up there with the top teams. Right. I totally agree with that. I saw that they felt like they never really got into a momentum. Uh, Tommy DeVito is their redshirt freshman. He's actually played some this year and has been pretty good, but they just were, it seemed like it really was a huge blow to their, their everything to lose him. And it was really tough for them to even get anything established against that nasty defense. Was there anybody that really stood out for you on Irish uh, offensively? Uh, Ian Book continues to be the straw that stirs the drink, essentially, for that whole team. We saw last week with Winbush in there, they were able to run the ball efficiently with Dexter Williams having another good game as well. But Ian Book, he's it's a passing game that Notre Dame really hasn't had in a long time. I mean, if they're down enough, they could rely on Book. I can't think of anybody – Recently, they've really been able to rely on a whole lot. I mean, probably going back to Jimmy Clausen or Brady Quinn even. I mean, because Tommy Reese and all them weren't able to do that efficiently and consistently. And like I mentioned, Dexter Williams, the running back, the senior. I really like his size. I really like um, his running ability, 13 carries, 74 yards and a touch. And then as we mentioned with Book, it's kind of like with Alabama, what Tua's doing for the receivers down there. Book was able to spread the ball around to seven different targets, and five of his seven targets had over 10 yards per catch as an average. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, so with Ian Book only being a junior, too, I mean, he's not flashing as far as a pro prospect standpoint. So these Irish could be right back up there next year with him leading the way and leading the charge. So it'll be interesting to watch for sure, not just the rest of this year, but next year as well. For you, Dwight, since – I talked offense. Notre Dame's defense did smother the orange. You can almost say they juiced them. Dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> Getting 11 total sacks in the process. Did anybody stand out to you on the defensive side of the ball? 
Yeah, their whole defensive line is, is pretty strong. Tillery wasn't really much of a factor. Jerry Tillery, their defensive tackle, wasn't much of a factor on the stat book, but you can definitely see what he does in the middle there. Kind of sets the tone for the whole defensive line. Probably their best overall. Julian Love and Tevin Coney are the two best prospects there. Both of them will probably be picked in the first couple rounds. Love will most likely go late day one. I might say he's probably the best overall prospect due to the scarcity of cornerbacks, but Tevin Coney is pretty damn amazing as well. A very good middle linebacker there. He's got good range, very sound tackler. Uh, one guy that popped out that I hadn't really scouted very much and I'd like to dig more into in the offseason is Alohi Gilman. He was their safety. He ended up he had two picks in this game, and he could he stood out on the tape as this game in particular. He seemed like he was everywhere. It was pretty impressive. So it's one I like to look at a little more. We've got a pretty deep draft with linebackers and safeties this year. So I, I don't think he'll be much if maybe a day two. He might even wait a year. He's only a junior. This defense has played pretty well all year. Everyone keeps making the argument if Notre Dame played Michigan, like this Michigan team played this Notre Dame team, the outcome would be different. Do you think it would be based on what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. The Notre Dame's defense is playing with a lot of a lot more fire, and, and Michigan's defense now, as opposed to it was in week one, is just night and day different. Yeah, it would be a very, very tough game. Be one of those, you know, eighteen to seventeen type of games or something. It'd be, it'd be interesting to watch. They definitely have the caliber of athletes to hang with a Alabama or Clemson, but I don't think they would be able to hang for a full game. That's for sure. Unfortunately, right. well, heck, Citadel hung for a quarter. <laughs> Nevertheless, a team that hung around the whole time because you're always so right was Oklahoma State upsetting the Mountaineers. Dwight, do you want to talk about them a little bit? Taylor Cornelius is really fun to watch, the Oklahoma State quarterback there. That, that spread offense, high-powered, great wheels. He can run. You know, he really commands the offense really well. It was a lot of fun to watch him play. He's not going to ever translate to the NFL, I don't believe. But and then Tylen Wallace, he just demands so much attention on defense. Um, he's an amazing talent there at wide receiver. He's um, We just did a mock draft with Nathan Powell the other day, and he went pretty high in that one. It was first round, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and he's he's definitely going to be a top prospect in the next couple of years coming out whenever he decides to come out. As far as defensively, uh, I was really disappointed that David Long Jr., he's one of my top linebackers. He's a, He's been a real difference maker for West Virginia. He didn't seem like he was in – position very well in this game and was kind of exposed with his pass coverage there. So I was hoping to see more of a big game from him, and I was surprised that he wasn't. So Andrew, and then on offensively, you've been getting higher all year on Will Greer. So what do you think of his stock after this game? I don't think it went up. I don't think it got hurt. I think it could have gone up if they would have won the game at the end there. That being said, I, I don't know if you saw the, the last play, Dwight, but I, I, I would have called it pass interference personally when he was targeting David Sills in the back of the end zone. But they were able to neutralize David Sills all game, held him under 100 yards. The cornerback, I can't remember his name, was literally just all over him the whole game. They were pulling each other's arms the whole time. It was offensive and defensive pass interference. Probably could have been called on every play where they were matched up. Greer altogether had 364 yards, two touchdowns, went 27 for 48. He didn't have any interceptions, which is a big thing for him because I think they were showing last year he had 
three interceptions or four interceptions against Oklahoma State. So he's becoming more mature. He's becoming a better decision maker, and I think it's going to translate a little bit better to the NFL as he goes through the process. The more I see of him, the more I like. I think he's not going to be one of those guys that will come in on the first day and be able to start. He's going to take a little bit of a little bit of fine-tuning, but he's got a lot of the tools that you would expect to be a successful quarterback. Were there any other prospects that stood out in this game that would be, like, for this upcoming year in particular? I mean, Sills, as I mentioned, I mean, even though he had not a very good game this year or this week, he's still been Wilger's number one target all year. And then their other receiver, Gary Jennings Jr., he's quickly – every time I watch Will Greer, I notice Gary Jennings a lot more. Um, I think both of them could be decent receivers at the next level. Uh, Jennings, I think I like a little bit more than Sills. Sills has the more has more size, but I think Jennings has the better playmaking ability as far as the bigger plays. And as you mentioned too, with Greer, uh, just to go back to that point you said about him sitting, I th- I think the perfect scenario for him is going somewhere where he's like in New Orleans or New England, where he could sit behind one of those quarterbacks, get coached up, and make an impact that way. So as far as there was another really big game that night, and I actually was able to watch this at our Cincinnati meetup this weekend, the Golden Knights team that of the University of Central Florida, they continue to amaze people, and their win streak just never seems like it's going to end. Do you think they can crash the party in the college playoff this year? Well, interestingly enough, I was watching the college football playoff selection show before we got on here, and UCF did jump Ohio State, so now they're number nine in the country. I think they need to have a really impressive last two weeks. I think they need Notre Dame to lose. I think they need, I'd say, for Michigan to lose, but Michigan would just have to lose to Ohio State, which would then jump them. So I I don't think it'll happen. I think for what they need to have happen, Ohio State would end up jumping them because Ohio State would have to knock off Michigan. They're a fun team. I think the team last year was better. I heard them say tonight during the selection show, their uh, betting guy, Bear, from College Game Day, he was saying how he would give 10 points as a favorite over last year's UCF team to this year's UCF team. And they they have some of the playmakers from last year back, but they just don't have – overall, it's a little bit less. And I think part of that is Scott Frost, too. I think he's a way better coach than people give him credit for. Right. It's going to take a lot of help ahead of them. There's going to be a couple teams. Washington State would have to lose. There's yep. like, yeah, it, it, it would take such a crazy scenario, and then you can never see what was going to happen, which is unfortunate. I would really like to see them in the playoffs just, just because. you know, Why not? Are there any players that stood out that make this team as special as it is? I, I think that you, know, you know it from if you watch UCF, their quarterback, McKenzie Milton, he – Went 13 for 25, 260 yards, four total touchdowns. He's not a pro prospect by any means. I don't think I've seen him ranked in anyone's top 10, including my own. And in such a poor quarterback class, that's not a very good sign. <laughs> Nonetheless, he's one of those fun college quarterbacks, like we said last week about Eric Dungy for Syracuse, that you just get to enjoy while you get to watch him, and then he'll be successful somewhere else. And then, as we talked about with this UCF team last year, one of their star players they lost was Shaquem, or Shaquem Griffin. Um, he left a big hole on that defensive side, being the conference defensive player of the year a couple times. Who do you think that you've – you said you watched the game. Who stepped up kind of and has taken his role over? Not one person can fill what he did. I think what he did for that team was 
beyond measurables and the type of player he is. He's one of those guys that you'd like to show your kids. That's how you play football, you know. He is um, – but as for, like, actual – Titus Davis is an interesting prospect. He had three sacks in this game. He has this year, he has 15, 15 and a half tackles for a loss, six tackle, six sacks on the year total. He's a pretty interesting prospect. He's a six foot three, 250 pound linebacker. So he's a pretty big guy for a linebacker there in the middle. Then free safety, Richie Grant really impressed me. He had 12 tackles in this game. He has 92 on the year, four picks as well. He's a interesting prospect. I think those guys kind of lead that defense and try to take, you know, fill in the holes of what Griffin brought to the team. So a pretty impressive effort, especially with the way it started out with Cincinnati scoring on that quick defensive touchdown and then just nothing the rest of the game. Yeah. <laughs> like it kind of kicked them in the – kind of kicked UCF in the face and said, hey, wake up, you know, and then holy crap. <laughs> they're, that, they're that boxer that needs punch to realize, oh, hey, I'm going to fight. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Then as far as on Cincinnati, um, defensively, I didn't, they don't really have any prospects that stick out in my head at this point. Um, I really like Michael Warren, the tailback there. He was 18 for 81. He also caught three balls. Uh, but he, the game script definitely didn't favor him being a part of it because they had to all of a sudden throw like crazy to try to keep up with Central Florida. But I really like Warren there. Anybody else for you? UCF's pretty cut and dry. They go through McKinsey Milton, and then you highlighted the defensive players there. And then Cincinnati, like you said, it's there's no one there that really pops off the screen, and you're like, oh, wow. I mean, the last person I think that you really tuned in for that was on Cincinnati was Tyler Gilliard. Do you remember him way back when? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember him. <laughs> Playmaking right. receiver, that's what he was good for. All right, man. Now it's time for our pride stickers. If you have not tuned in before, the pride stickers are basically our player of the week, more or less. The player we thought that went above and beyond and made the most difference for his team for the week. Andrew, who was your pick this week? I went with the man with the hairy upper lip, Garner Minshew, up in the <laughs> cold northwest. Out of Washington, quarterback from Washington State scored 55 points in the first half against Arizona. I mean, and that really says it all. He went 43 for 55, 473 yards, and seven touchdowns. I mean, year-to-date, he has a 70% completion percentage, 4,300 yards, and 39 total touchdowns. They were talking on college game day. They were interviewing him and Mike Leach as they were talking about how the whole talent's getting mustaches just for Gardner. I didn't realize he was supposed to go to Alabama, and he was just going to be the backup as a graduate transfer. And then Mike Leach got a hold of him and said, hey, you can either go there and not play or you can come up for me and lead the country in passing. And he's like, oh, well, that sounds a little bit better. So I think he definitely made the right decision. Also, too, I, I think his pro prospects and as far as a Devi watch sort of thing, if you have a late-round pick and he's available and say, a super flex, I definitely think he's worth taking a flyer on. And especially seeing where he lands, if he lands somewhere where if he may be able to play sooner. I was thinking today when we were making notes – for some reason, just picture him in Oakland. I don't know if it's the big arm and Al Davis's ghost would be telling him to pick him or what. It would just be interesting to see. But that's who I gave my sticker to. There were several running backs for me that I thought of this week. I mean, 
But I'm going to go with Anthony McFarland, the running back from Maryland, who had just an absolute set game and really kept him in the game. He ran for 298 yards on 21 carries, two touchdowns, and he looks really, really good. Um, Dobbins also had an amazing game. J.K. Dobbins, running back for Ohio State. Jonathan Taylor had an amazing game this week as well. But I'm going to go with McFarland. He almost willed Maryland to a victory in a game which was – just so much fun to watch and it made you really worry about Ohio State I'll tell you that and, and speaking of that we'll lead into our nudes and notes I'll start off with Ohio State do you think they're officially a pretender at this point or are they a legitimate contender I think Michigan's going to turn them into a skid mark next week <laughs> I think they'll have a close first half because it's Michigan Ohio State you always get amped up for that game whether or not there's a talent difference or not Halftime adjustments and everything, Harbaugh will come out. I think they're going to rely heavy on Karan Higdon and Shea Patterson. And just, it won't be. I bet Michigan puts up 35, 40 points on them. Ohio State, I don't don't even think we'll crack 20 just because that defensive line is just a monster and they're going to be all over Haskins the whole game. And that's his weakness. So, now I I don't see them making any more noise the rest of the year. No, I, I'm firmly in the seat too. I don't. I think that um, Dobbins. They're going to take Dobbins out of the game. Michigan is in that defensive line, and and it's going to. They're going to make Haskins try to win the game, and he's not going to be able to. It's it's it might like you said it might be pretty for a few minutes, but it's, I have a feeling it's going to be a pretty ugly game. Speaking of ugly, we talked about it just a brief second last week. Um, then I got to watch the video after last week's show. Ed Oliver just absolutely blowing up on the sideline <laughs> over a jacket, too. <laughs> I heard the story afterwards with Major Applewhite explaining it, and it was he wasn't playing, and he was – I guess he was out with a knee injury. But before the game, he was playing a catch with the quarterbacks and the receivers, and he was jumping and flying all over the place, which I'm sure deep down is what made Applewhite upset. Then he said Oliver had a jacket on that was for people in the game only to keep them warm and – keep them loose and ready, but Oliver had it on, so we told him to take it off. And Oliver probably didn't have to yell at him the way he did. At the same time, that's what you're going to pick a fight about. With right. Arguably, I mean, I guess, I get it, you can't favor players. Right, I, d- I definitely think it, um, it'll be brought up in the combine process. Um, I definitely think it was, you don't want to see a prospect do that type of thing. It's It's kind of not like a diva, almost like diva-ish, very childish, you know, very disrespectful to talk to, to be like that against your coach. I think it'll definitely be brought up. I mean, he is, you know, he's, he's still a kid. He's in college, but you definitely don't want to see the guy who you're going to spend a first-round pick on do something like that. I saw so. someone compare. They said, would you rather have your star player freak out over a jacket or do what Baker Mayfield did last year to Kansas? I would rather have that Oliver flip out about a jacket and Baker Mayfield sure. went number one. So I think at the end of the day, he'll be okay. But it's one of those things where it'll definitely be talked about all right. the way I up until draft night. Yeah, I don't think it'll affect his draft stock at all. All right, and um, another big big set of news this week. Les Miles was hired in Kansas as their head coach. What do you think about that, Andrew? I think it won't make an impact for one, two years. Three years even, Les Miles is going to have to get his guys in. Um, a lot of people forget because they just know LSU, Mad Hatter down in the SEC tearing it up. But he came from Oklahoma State, so he knows the Big 12. He knows the recruiting in that area. So I think it's – I mean, 
for a non-football school, and I can't remember what his salary is, but I was kind of surprised it seemed kind of low for someone with a national championship. For them to get him, I mean, I think that's a big, big deal. I remember 2007, 2008 Kansas, they got all the way up to number two with Todd Reese and uh, Keeb Tlaib and everybody like that, and they were a fun game, team to watch. So, I mean, Big 12, you just got to have a little bit of offense, and if you have the slightest bit of defense, you'll be okay. I think if there's a conference he could make it in, it'd be the Big 12. Right, and I'm actually on the flip side of it. I really didn't like the hiring. I think it's going to lead to some unrealistic expectations in Kansas. Yes. And I, I don't think he's going to be able to live up to them. I, I just I think he's an all right coach, but I think he was given the keys to a Corvette in LSU and was not able to to drive it right. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I feel like LSU gave him a really great platform to succeed, and he didn't. And I think in Kansas, he's going to be expected to succeed. Maybe they don't. Maybe that's why the salary is as low as it is. I haven't and seen a number yet. He definitely brought in more defensive players. I mean, the whole knock, even up to this year, was LSU hasn't had a quarterback in forever. So oh. it'll be interesting to see what he could do there. And we're just going to jump. We're going to go right into the weekend preview. Uh, it might be a little bit of a shorter show. We got a Thanksgiving coming up, so I want to get this out to you guys. But the big shows, all the big games this weekend, it is rivalry weekend. There are some huge games this weekend. I don't think any of them are larger than Michigan and Ohio State, even though we've already sort of covered that already. But let's go a little bit more in depth with it, Andrew. What do you think is going to be the difference maker on offense for both teams? I think – for Michigan, it's going to be Karan Higdon. I've been beating a dead horse all week on Twitter and now on the show. I really, really like him. No one seems to be talking about him. And for whatever reason, he's really flying under the radar. Debbie players, I think, and draft analysts, I think he could be one of those late-round running backs where if he gets to the right team, the right situation, he could, I'm not saying he'll be Kareem Hunt, but he could have like a Kareem Hunt impact right away with the team. And I think Shea Patterson, the quarterback play for Michigan, is going to continue to be a big part. I really am starting to like him a little bit more as a pro prospect. I think he will stay because he has another year of eligibility left, clamoring for him to leave necessarily. But I think the real big player impact offensively for Michigan is going to be their tight end, Zach Gentry, Gentry, who I don't think gets talked about enough as well. Michigan, the whole defense is what gets talked about, but offense has a lot of key players, which they haven't had in a long time. As far as what I see on defense is you know, Michigan's got Devin Bush and Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary. I think the keys of the game are actually going to be their cornerbacks, so David Long and Levert Hill. I think they're both pretty good cornerbacks. I think David Long's going to be one of those guys that will be drafted probably second day. He's a pretty good cornerback, and he'll be tested a little bit. They'll probably have the man-to-man on the Ohio State wide receivers. And as far as Ohio State on defense, Draymond Jones is on the defensive line there. He's at seven and a half sack. Jordan Fuller is also a great safety prospect. And I expect Kendall Sheffield, the cornerback, to be shadowing Donovan Peoples-Jones all game. And they definitely have some pieces that can match up well with Michigan. But we've seen Ohio State just repeatedly get burned this year. And I don't see any way that they can hold off Michigan long enough. And as far as Higdon, it's amazing. I was went through like all my Debbie rosters and I couldn't find him on a single team. Like, and that's crazy to me with how good he's been this year. Yeah. No, you talked about Draymond Jones for Ohio state. He's one every week. I'll be scrolling through Twitter because I usually work Saturdays. So I get what I can until I can get him a watch more. 
I feel like I see three, four Draymond Jones just destroying offensive linemen every week. I really think he's going to be a top pick next year. So if you're an IDP, I mean, everyone's being compared to Aaron Donald, it seems, with this defensive line group. But, I, I mean, he, the way he manhandles players, it's almost like an Aaron Donald of sorts. If he would have had Joey Bosa alongside him all season, it would have mm-hmm. been a lot of fun to watch. As far as Oklahoma, West Virginia, I mean, it's going to be a game that's going to have a lot of firepower there. What do you think about that game, Andrew? I think it's going to be something like we saw on Monday Night Football last night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to bother saying it about Oklahoma defense, but West Virginia is no better. Defense. Exactly. I, I could see the final score. if there's, I don't know what the over-under is. If the over-under is 100, I'd probably shoot over. I could see it being... 55, 60 something, 63, something like that. I think Will Greer, Jennings, and Sills are going to have a big game. I think Kyler Murray's going to keep balling out and having Bo Jackson pictures taken. But, and I think Marquise Brown, I think from the wide receiver from Oklahoma, I think he's really getting forgotten about. Oh, I uh, love him. I love Hollywood Brown, man. Everyone does. A lot of people have him as his number one uh, wide receiver now with Metcalf gone, but potentially. But I just don't think they talk about him enough. And I think no. a big game, I could see him doing 200 yards, three touchdowns, and just completely dominating. Right. I think Kyler Murray gets so much press there that he has been forgotten about. I actually just traded for him the other day. And as far as defense, like you mentioned, there's really not any prospects for Oklahoma that I can think of. And then David Long for West Virginia has a potential to be, he's probably the only game maker on West Virginia's defense. Big playmaker. I mean, that game maker, it should just be a fun game. One of those just grab some popcorn and watch just like last night. Like you said, they'll be on Friday too. So with oh. the holiday, there's a lot of the good games are on Friday and that's actually Friday night at eight o'clock on ESPN. So, and the other big game this weekend is Washington versus Washington state. I think there's, yeah, it's got potential to be a really great game as well. A lot of people don't give Washington enough credit. Who are some pro prospects that you're watching in that game other than Minshew? Miles Gaskin, running back for Washington. He's one to watch. I really think Washington has more defensive players to watch, which I'll leave for you. But, yeah, I would probably say Washington's going to have the better defense than Washington State, but I think Washington State's going to have the better offense. At the end of the day, I still expect Minshew to have a good game. I could see this being an upset, but I, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. It'll be a close game for sure. Right. One that people don't talk about on Washington State is their running back, James Williams. He has 70 catches the last two seasons, which is, to me, is insane. For a college running back to have 70 catches is pretty a unreal. A lot of programs don't use him yeah. that way. I think he'll definitely get some some eyes on him throughout the process, the combine prospect, to see how he tests and stuff, just to see a a pass catching back like that. We've seen how the transition to the NFL, how it's so important now. And you mentioned the defensive prospects. Um, Washington has some really, really good defensive prospects. Taylor Rapp is one of the best safety prospects there is. Byron Murphy is probably going to be a top 10 pick in some of the mock drafts I've saw. And then another guy that they don't talk about too much is their linebacker, Ben Burr Curvin, I guess is how you would pronounce it. He has 145 tackles this year. I actually had to look at that again. Like, wow, 145 tackles with several games left. That's crazy. Um, you don't see that type of production too often in college. And the Washington State's got Jalen Thompson, strong safety, and Peyton Pilaire is how I would guess it's pronounced the middle linebacker. Those guys also have 
you know, probably day two, late day three type of talent. It should be an interesting game. It won't be a, I don't think it'll be a 45-40 type of game. No. <laughs> it could. I think it definitely could. I don't know if Washington could hang if it gets that way. but Absolutely not. Jake yeah. Browning's, as Mike Gundy would explain. Uh, yeah, he was thought to be a prospect there at one point and yep. they've got they've got some really good young quarterbacks behind them too so yeah they yeah, got Washington's the, loaded they got the transfer from Georgia um Jacob Jacob Eason who yeah. I think is going to make a big impact for him next year and you talked about Byron Murphy Matt Miller was just ranting and raving about him on his yeah. stick to football podcast on Monday he has him right behind Greedy Williams for the cornerback spot yeah. and he said if it wasn't if Greedy Williams wasn't as exceptional as he was, he'd probably easily be the number one with everybody else. All right. Next up, we got their UX upset picks. Andrew, you're going to get one right eventually. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, you've gotten one right. Anyways, exactly one. Yeah, <laughs> what? Like I tweeted out, it's either one of us have been right since we've done this show, so you can bet on us. Just got to pick the right one. That being said, I'm putting 100, 100 pesos on my upset pick this week. I said I don't think it's going to make that big of an impact right away, but I can see Kansas getting all amped up with Les Miles being around, them seeing the Mad Hatter, them trying to pull off some crazy trick play, and I can see Texas kind of just overlooking everything because, I mean, they still can make the Big 12 title game. They've just got to win this game. But, I mean, I think Kansas could potentially pull it off because they've done it before to Texas. I got some players for you to watch for Kansas, too, and I'll be 100% honest with you. I had to look them up before I picked them because I don't really watch a lot of Kansas. That being said, quarterback Peyton Bender, he has a whopping 1,700 yards passing this year with a solid 57% completion rating and 12 touchdowns and two picks. So he doesn't turn the ball over, which is an upside with what you want for an upside pick. The running back, who I actually watched a little bit of and isn't actually half bad, Puka Williams Jr. He has over 1,000 yards on the year, six touchdowns. And then my little fun fact with my upset pick, I was looking at their offensive stats on general. Alabama has over – they have 5,900 yards of offense. Kansas has 3,900 yards of offense. Kansas only averages – five yards play i was looking and that's really bad across yeah. the board they're at the very bottom of it but hey one right. week against texas i could see it happening sorry i went in depth there but it was oh, more I had, right, to, I had to amp myself up to actually utter the words and i'm gonna go with texas a&m upsetting lsu um Ooh. yeah interesting i think uh I just worry about LSU's offense, honestly. If they can score points to keep up with a and I mean, the LSU has a great defense, but they're not going to be able to stop them the entire game. Mon, Travion Williams, they're just going to make a difference. I think they're going to take it to LSU and really kick LSU right out of the playoff picture, although they're pretty much hanging by a string anyways. But I think Texas a and is going to get them. Based on what I see here, their matchup predictor ESPN actually has AM 60% over LSU. So maybe it's not as big of an upset as some might think, but it is at AM. So LSU, they're at number seven, but they're kind of in purgatory where they're just hanging around until they're told they're not going to be in it. I don't I think that could affect it. So I mean I'd probably if I were to bet on a game of these two, I'd probably go Texas AM. But so ignore what I said all beforehand and listen to Dwight as normal. Man. 
All right, and we're going to go through some individual players then. Like, we broke down some of the big matchups this weekend. What are some individual players that you're looking for this weekend? Like, who's going to make the biggest difference? Dwayne Haskins, I think, is going to be the difference maker for the Ohio State-Michigan game. We've alluded to it two segments now. Why not make it three? I think if he can handle the Michigan defense, not only will he help Ohio State pull off the upset and potentially springboard into the playoff, but I think Haskins could potentially jump up to that QB2 spot. He played really well and was really clutch last week against Maryland. They needed him to win that game down the stretch, and he was able to put the whole team on his back and do it. So if he can do that with Michigan, all the more power to him. Two receivers I'm really excited to watch, Demarcus Lodge and A.J. Brown from Ole Miss as they battle Mississippi State. The in-state rivalry there is always a fun game to watch. Those two are battling for the number a top wide receiver spot in the draft. I think either one of them are worth owning in Devi. A.J. Brown, I might favor a little bit more than Lodge, but after the whole process, Lodge just is – he's very close to D.K. Metcalf as far as an athletic type and everything. And then as we talked about too, Will Greer against Oklahoma. I think if he has a really good game, he just can't turn the ball over. That's what I want from him. I don't want any turnovers, and he'll come out of that looking very pretty. Right, and I'm going to focus on – I want to see what Gardner Minshew does against that Washington secondary. Yes. I think it's one of the most talented secondaries he's faced this year. I think it's going to be key to see how he reacts to that and how prepared he is. Uh, it's going to be a game where everybody's going to be amped up and I expect just about anything to happen. So it'll be curious to see how he keeps his emotions in check and how he handles the best secondary he's seen to this point, I'm sure – as the seat, you know, in the playoffs and stuff, you might see a better one. Then I really want to see how Anthony McFarland follows up that performance against Ohio State, against Penn State, and see how Miles Sanders goes too. It's a battle of two running backs that are extremely talented. So I'd like to see, I kind of want to watch that game and see how Maryland, if they are for real, and they're playing with a little bit of fire and passion right now after all the things with the coach over the – they got fired in the offseason. I can't think of his name for some reason. He's uh, not worth talking about yeah, anyway. <laughs> I don't even want to know his name, douchebag. Anyways, uh, <laughs> and then in the game I picked for the upset, I'm curious. I want to see Travion Williams versus Devin White. I want to see that. I, I love Travion Williams. He's one of my favorite running back prospects, and Devin White's the top linebacker in the class. So I think I want to see how that goes. I want that's one of one of those like individual matchups I'm really gonna watch. So yeah, it should be a really fun weekend this weekend. Games on Friday, Saturday, games on Thursday, Sunday, NFL. Four four days of football. Oh yeah. Four days of football to watch while your wife saw it all spending your money. So <laughs> you have anything to add, Andrew? Where can everybody find you at? They can find me at the dinner table adding a couple pounds on Thursday. And then after I'm done there, I'll be able to find me on Twitter at DHH underscore Mandrew. I do have a Thanksgiving themed Debbie article for a player to food comps coming out Thursday. I'm pretty excited about. I'm going to bring the hot takes with that one again, bad joke, but <laughs> no, that's all. And then I just want our listeners to have a good and happy Thanksgiving survive black Friday and try to gorge yourself as much as you can on the best, day of the year in my opinion yeah, absolutely you can find me on twitter at ff people's champ writing articles of dhh and the fantasy authority and once again you can find us on twitter at at debbie manual and we want to thank everybody for listening have a great weekend everybody don't
forget about the uh, Mountain West The Mac that can flex, sunbelt is next Ivy League fresh, literally though Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of players to test I'm serious, they will talk about the most obscure players on this planet Potentially another planet Like, dude's got a 4340 from Mars Like, I don't know, I, it's too much, I'm done I'm gone this time. Like, don't bring it back in. Enjoy your podcast.